91%. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings, and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. <laughs> On today's Back Chat, we're going to be looking at the workload of the city's judges and magistrates, which the Hong Kong Bar Association says is much heavier than in other overseas jurisdictions. This comes after High Court Judge Wilson Chan was accused of delivering a judgment that copied 98% of a plaintiff's written submission. The Court of Appeal has ordered a retrial due to this judicial copy. And Justice Chan, who's now accused of similar practices in another ruling, received a serious reprimand from the judiciary, which said such acts affect public confidence in the judicial system. But cases of judicial co copying aren't new, and similar cases have been recorded in many other jurisdictions, including the UK, Australia and Canada. So does judicial copying constitute plagiarism? Are our judges overwhelmed? And can artificial intelligence help? After 9.45, we're going to be joined by a conservationist to discuss the case of an ancient tree that was found mutilated in Maan Chat. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. Our guests uh, for the uh, first segment of the show this morning, uh, we have here with us in, uh, in the studio, uh, Sandra Marco Colino, who's Associate Professor at the Faculty of Law at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And in our Queensway studio, Colin Cohen. Colin Cohen, Senior Partner and Co-Founder of Burris Cohen and Collins. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Uh, Colin Cohen, maybe let, let's go to you first. Um, as I mean, I mean, this case has hit the headlines and it appears this, this particular judge has, um, uh, uh, this, this particular problem has occurred in more than one judgment. But um, as I mentioned at the start, right, uh, this is sadly, this is not new or it's not particularly uncommon, is it either? You've probably come across cases in your practice or certainly um, heard of them. Yeah, um, good morning. Um, yes, I think we've all had experience of cases, but, you know, it goes, it's the spectrum as to copying how far does it all go. And of course, um, it's not satisfactory. Obviously, the Court of Appeal came out with a clear decision, really the come to the conclusion that, you know, justice must be seen to be done and whoever loses needs to have a full and thorough explanation. And if a judge just repeats all the submissions made by counsel without sort of giving it clear and precise analysis by himself. And that's not right. However, I, I recollect that you had Professor Simon Young, Young or, or on the news a few days ago, and I think you got to sort of delve a little bit into why is this happening. And as you correctly say, this is not the first time this has happened. It's happened in many, many, many jurisdictions. And I think the reasons why this is happening is that in a case and towards the end, when you have a trial, the judge asks for written submissions and counsel writes out pages and pages and pages for which the client has to pay for their final submissions. And then maybe 100 pages, 80 pages lands on the judge's desk and then the judge starts looking at it. And then that in itself may be a contributing factor to the, that you'll produce all this information when the j judge looks at it all. And what my view is here is that perhaps what one needs to look is what is the underlying causes of all of this. And yes, I have been told by some judges who I know and as well as other magistrates and district court judges, and it's, they are overwhelmed with work. You only have to see, if you look at the court list today in the High Court, 
40% plus is deputy judges, which means there's a considerable amount of, I understand there's a considerable amount of vacancies for the number of high court judges, and you have deputies sitting. So really, there is a huge workload on the judges. And very recently, you may recollect that there was a complaint that it was taking a long, long time for judgments to come out. Sometimes you waited up to 18 months, two years, a year, and they changed that with a direction that the judges must give an indication as to when the judgment will be given, and normally six months is the time slot to, to do this. So I think what we should be looking at here now is perhaps much more increased um, education or um, for judges who are sitting um, in the UK, in Australia, Canada. A lot of institutes provide um, the ability to provide judges with training, especially deputy judges or um, recorders. Um, they have to, in the UK, you have to sit on courses. You go for long weekend courses to help you out. And at the same time, um, in other jurisdictions, you do have associates who help judges in providing um, judgments. You know, they would write a first draft. It's not uncommon. So, in a nutshell, yes, it's not right. Yes, it's happened. But I think moving forward, how is it to prevent it from happening again? I mean, you're always going to have some form of copying. And normally, um, judges, when they write their judgments, will say that their submissions were A, B, C, D, and E. Uh, Colin, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Um, to some extent, the judge ha has to present the arguments of, the, of both sides up front, doesn't he? This case was about uh, such and such an issue, and on the one hand, guy A said this, and party B said uh, something else. So there is a degree of regurgitation of the main points up front, but it does seem a bit much that... 98% uh, came from um, one party. No wonder the Court of Appeal. Is it, is it a qu question where some, some degree is going to happen anyway, but it's a question of the extent? Correct, correct, correct. My, I mean, of course it's wrong. It should not have happened. But, you know, a, a judgment, if you read judgments, I mean, some judges will start by analysing, setting out the facts, his fact-finding. He will then look at the credibility of the witnesses. Then he has a, an, an extract saying discussion and analysis, whereby he will look at all the points of law. And when it comes to the points of law, like in this case, it was intellectual property, you know, the judge will say, I was um, counsel, presented the following arguments, and he would summarise them very quickly. And However, I disagree because of A, B, C, D and E, I agree, and tries to put it together in a very concise, readable fashion. I mean, Cliff Buddle wrote a very interesting um, column in yesterday's South China Morning Post. He was a very experienced court reporter, and he would read, as a layman, lots and lots of judgments, and he found some were very, very good, some were precise, but some were long-winded, all over the place, and very difficult to comprehend. So it's an art of writing judgments. Not easy, let me tell you that, because I sat as a, uh, as a um, Inland Revenue as, one, as a Deputy Chairman of the Board of Review, and I had lots of judgments to write, and it can be very tempting when you get all these submissions just to regurgitate them. And it's not plagiarism as such, it's sort of copying it all out, but there's nothing wrong if you say, Council says ABC, 
I disagree for following reasons, and this is my analysis. So you never copied when you were uh, an assessor on the... Oh, uh, no, no, I did copy, but I did. You I said, was, so you, you I attributed. Didn't, I didn't sort of cut and paste, and <laughs> I, would, I, 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 I will come clean. I did sort of cut and paste about four or five paragraphs, but then I said, council stated in their submissions the following. Then I said, I disagreed with this for the following reasons, you know. I mean, I suspect this judge must have been... We don't know. Was he under pressure? Was he behind on his judgments? Was he, you know... I mean, it's huge pressure on judges and the backlog to get out the judgments. It shouldn't have happened, and perhaps as a salient... You know, what's happened now, all the other judges will be, I think, quite careful moving forward. OK, let's bring in uh, Sandra Marco-Colino, Associate Professor at the Faculty of Law at Chinese University of Hong Kong. Um, uh, good morning. What, what do you make of this latest case and sort of the issue of copying by judges more generally? Well, good morning. Um, well, the first thing I would say is we're talking about judicial plagiarism. But of course, as you're probably aware, it's a phenomenon that, ex- that expands beyond the judiciary, right? Um, I'm an academic and I'm very aware, right? We publish all the time. I'm very aware that we need to be very careful when we are taking or when we are maybe looking at other people's work that we think is relevant and we want to bring it into our work, we must do it with attribution, which is, I think, what the point Colin was making. Um, we, Yes, it's you can, let's say, borrow others' ideas. You can rely on them to build your own, but you always must say, right, this person said that you must always make sure that it is clear that these are not your words or that you are using, that you are relying on what right. somebody else I think established. That is one of, the, sorry, right, one of the concerns here because you're quite right in academia and I'm in academia as well we take this very seriously and there are punishments I mean uh, and they and there's, there's no point uh, you are like to be let off with a warning I mean the first time you're caught you will be but um, so there's a feeling and there was an editorial in, actually in the standard last week saying that, that somehow different rules apply to the judiciary that um, you can do it there and you, you won't face the same sort of consequences you would in academia well as we can see there are there are clearly consequences if this is now being discussed so widely um, we also I mean as also as I an educator, as a legal educator, I can tell you that in every institution I've worked in, this is something taken very seriously. And, you know, we are training the future judges of Hong Kong and elsewhere, and they need to be very aware of what they shouldn't do. Um, and we do have, you know, mechanisms in place to avoid plagiarism. And, you know, beyond the software, of course, um, individually, we, we make sure we try very hard to ensure that any plagiarism is detected. And we take action, indeed. Um, and hopefully, you know, we, we, with a view to avoiding situations like the one we are facing now. I think that the the one thing that we need to look at also is that there are some aggravating and mitigating factors here. I would say what is more worrying is perhaps the lack of um, impartiality because especially what was plagiarized was from one of the parties, let's say. Um, And also the fact that this kind of undermines the whole legal system um, and can raise, uh, can can be worrying, I guess, for the public. Um, From the mitigating perspective, I would say, well, it's less maybe about the individual, um, if we look at the context of overburdened judges, of I think 47 vacancies currently not covered, um, of the 164 that should be available. So um, I don't know also how much support each of these judges has, something that Colin was discussing right. earlier. So all these things need to be considered. Of Absolutely. Now that, that was going to be one of the points that I followed up on with both of you, is this question of vacancies. Um, how serious is it and what can we do about it? Colin? Well, I mean, it, this has always been a problem. I mean, if you're in the bar, 
and you're doing very well as a senior counsel, going to the judiciary sometimes is the best, best lawyers perhaps don't want to go to a judiciary. Or um, I've known many, um, I've interviewed many um, leading counsel, both from Hong Kong and even King's Counsel in the UK. And I've always asked them, do you wish to go to the judiciary? And one of my recent guests made it very clear to me, uh, uh, I think it's Grenville Cross, said he didn't really want to. I mean, he, there is a lack of real desire by the really top good people to go to the judiciary, which means recruiting high-quality judges has always been difficult. Now, pre-1997 or after 1997, a lot of judges came over from Australia, New Zealand, UK, straight into the judiciary, either straight into the high court or straight into, let's say, magistrates and work their way up. Today, I do think it is quite, quite difficult, you know, to perhaps persuade. I'm talking about the high courts more. I think for the magistrates and down in the lower um, courts, a lot of people do apply for to come, become magistrates. I think, you know, applications for the high court to get the best quality judges is pretty difficult. I'm more concerned, really, about two things what's happened here. I think this is it's not that the copying is it, it, it's, it's happened in the past. I don't think it will happen it's that again common. in the future, won't and it? it will do. And, and remember, I don't call it plagiarism. You know, one thing is stop. You know, you always ask for skeletal arguments, and then pages and reams of paper come in. So don't ask your counsel to provide hundreds of pages of written submissions. Then you won't be able to copy anything. It'll be up to you then to analyse the facts and the judgments. <laughs> They'll make it easier. Of course, you know, with we will talk about AI looking at you know predictive assumptions. Looking, you can find a lot on the internet which you might be able to use and not attribute. But I do think this is perhaps a one-off. A recent situation. I think a lot of other judges now would take a lot longer to do their judgments. I, I like to see far better education for judges. I have, there's a judge, judges institute here. I know the chief justice is looking at this. And at the same time, I would also think much more associates for judges. You know, in the, in the Supreme Court in America, they go up to, about to issue 20 judgments. Most of those judgments, each judge has an associate who writes the judgment for him or her. He, of course, then takes it and plays with it and puts his own flavour into it. But there's a lot of sort of background. Also, one reason not being a judge here is a very lonely job. You know, you're on your own. You have a clerk, yes, but they're not judicially trained. It's very, very difficult. And it's not the most, perhaps it's not appealing. Some people may want to do it. It okay. looks good on one CV. Colin, Colin, Colin Cohen, sorry. Colin Cohen, why do you say you don't call it plagiarism? Well, I don't call it, I mean, plagiarism, I mean, because they certainly have, from a university perspective, where, yeah, well, <laughs> where Sandra and I come from, I mean, um, plagiarism is presenting something that, um, without proper attribution, and that well, clearly happened here. Uh, well, well, I think here, he, he just puts out the arguments which were given to him as the judge as well. It was copy, uh, yeah, it, it, I'm being, I'm being, I'm perhaps I'm being too nice. Copying, <laughs> plagiarism, it's the scale. Plagiarism means you do I was at Hong Kong University, I taught there. You didn't, if you didn't attribute and you didn't, you know, do it all, you get slung out or you get very badly um, punished. And students are doing it all the time with, I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I, I see, I, I mark exam papers, I, I'm an honorary lecturer. I, I see all the time that students in their assessments some of them are writing far better than you know they could write. <laughs> so they have gone into the internet. But it, it, it's, you know what it is? It's, it's, different, it's, different, it's, it's a different wavelength as how bad it really is. Right, so uh, p plagiarism is 
is not really is copying without attributing. Yeah, yeah. right. It's, it's quite Kalina, lovely. Yeah. Recruitment, training. Yeah. What can we do? Because you're doing some of the training. <laughs> well, we're trying our best, um, and of course, I think the. Perhaps what we are seeing now, we're reeling from what has been the perfect storm in a way. We had, we've had a very few, very difficult years um, um, in Hong Kong, and that has affected so many things. Right, it has affected the attractiveness maybe of of the city for um, you know judges to come even from other jurisdictions to practice here. Um, and we all we are all aware that a lot of people have actually left. Um, for some people, you know, the restrictions got a bit too much. They went on for so long, um, and you know, I think that we're we're overcoming that now. So things could eventually change, but I think now we are perhaps suffering the consequences from that. Um, and I think the, the shortage is one of the, those things that we that we are seeing. Um, I mean, but it's happening not just in the judiciary. I mean, we are seeing now huge efforts to recruit. Um, the public hospitals are trying to recruit doctors from the UK, from other countries. Um, so this is, this is a much wider problem. Um, so I guess that we're going to try, we're going to, we're going to have to try to somehow um, entice people to, to come and to... and to. Have you get, got lots of yeah. students who want to be judges? We, well, we have, I mean, because uh, it's, like, if you think for the high court, right, it's a process, right? I right. think first they have to, you know, have practiced law for a while. So they don't normally come necessarily saying I want to be a judge. Some, of course, do. Um, but it's, somehow, it's something that sometimes their career path eventually leads to, right, more... Um, we keep talking about Hong Kong specific factors and saying that there are Hong Kong specific factors but this this kind of judicial copying is going on all over the world I mean in the case itself uh, that has just come up we're citing examples from the UK and Canada and you look at cases in Singapore so it must be about something far more than just Hong Kong specific factors Sure and again I mean politicians right I um, I remember some years ago there was this scandal with a minister in Germany the copy paste minister they they called him and uh, um, a lot of them who have a PhD, well, some, I wouldn't say a lot, of course, but some were found eventually to have plagiarized part of their doctoral thesis, etc. So this is clearly an issue that that is, extends quite widely, yes. And Joe Biden plagiarized speeches, I think, by Neil Kinnock. Yeah, <laughs> the speech thing is is a tricky one because what we what I what I've seen is that normally these speeches again like like Colin was saying they're usually prepared by the team right so you sometimes have somebody who's a bit careless and goes and looks at finds something nice and then they don't do the proper attribution and I agree with Colin that there is a degree you know there's like we we sometimes find somebody who's just copied from the beginning to the end others who've tried to maybe like embellish it a bit put it in their own words I think in this case there was. There were some cosmetic changes that were mentioned um, by the other judges criticizing what had happened here. Um, and, you know, there is so, of course, there's always a degree of, of plagiarism. But at the end of the day, it's all um, similarly considered dishonest um, and um, unacceptable at least so yeah okay we're discussing the issue of judicial copying following the recent case where the court of appeal um, found that uh, high court judge uh, wilson chan had delivered a judgment that uh, copied 98 percent of a plaintiff's written submission and didn't include a single sentence of his own and uh, judge me issued a severe reprimand uh if you have any thoughts uh, do email us at backchatterrthk.hk or you can go to our facebook page and leave a comment there uh, an email coming in from bowen bowen says uh, what bar association chairman victor dawes said about the immense pressure and heavy workload of our judges is most probably right. I'm slightly curious about whether he meant those two factors to be one and the same thing. But the fact is Singapore has over 200 judges serving a population of 6 million. Hong Kong has 164 with 47 vacancies. 
The judiciary needs to recruit more judges while maintaining or enhancing quality. The only way to achieve this is to make positions on the bench more attractive and rewarding, not necessarily financially, but also through giving judges more open and thorough respect for the traditional role they play. Thank you very much, Maureen. Colin Cohen, that seems to be um, reinforcing points you were making earlier, right? Um, yes. I mean, Singapore pays a lot more for their judges, by the way. Well, we uh, don't pay badly in Hong Kong, No, do no we, we don't right? pay <laughs> badly. No, no, no. I'm not saying we don't pay badly, but... I'm saying Singapore <laughs> pays more. And if you're talking about a senior council, what a senior council can earn and then goes to the bench, then it, there is this massive gap. But, but I think, you know, let's backtrack a little bit. You want, I mean, for example, in China, when people study law, they do study, they say at the very beginning, I want to become a judge, and they go on courses to becoming judges, believe it or not. And that's a different system. And also it's the same in France and, and, and in the common system, is whereby you would say at the very beginning of your legal career, I want to be a judge, and it's the inquisitive system, you know, they, they, and they have special courses and you work your way up the system that way. So here for Hong Kong, I just think the real problem now is that there's so many backlog of cases, and this goes on because of... The, and there's many, many reasons for the backlog um, at the moment, that something needs to be done to get more judges, support to judges, associate judges, to try and assist and help to ensure that judgments come out quickly and that is good for Hong Kong as well. And, and it may be one reason why people are, uh, which Danny you would know about, um, people may be saying, well, why go to court when it's going to become A, so long, unpredictable, and in turn go down the mediation, arbitration, which may be quicker, may be more effective. That might be, you know, an alternative to educate people. The, the ultimate beneficial customers are the, are, are, the, are the clients. I mean, are they getting the, the right, you know, the, the, the right service? For example, many, many of my clients say to me, why is my case being held by a deputy judge and a recorder? I want a real judge. And I got explained, well, they are good, et cetera, et cetera. It's not easy, this one. And this isn't just happening now. This has been an issue for many, many, many years. Yeah, so Sandra Marco Colino, you, you were just mentioning just, uh, or nodding just now when Colin was mentioning about how there, there are many jurisdictions, including China and much of Europe, where people do go straight into the judiciary from, from college, don't they? My own country, Spain. Yeah. That's a, I mean, it's not that they go that straight into better, college. There's a specific exam. So basically, once you finish... But there is finish, a career path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once judge, you finish yeah. your degree, your law degree, then there are some... You have to take a specific exam if you want to become a judge, and you would train for that exam. And yes, so it's, it's a, a kind of, like you say, a separate path from... Uh, it's not like like a, here it seems to be more you first train as a as a solicitor barrister whatever and then you eventually make your way up right it's, it's a bit different but could we could we move to that is it compatible with a common law system to rec rec recruit people and train them as judges from the beginning Colin or they've no. got to go no no, no I mean no. The, the common law the system is totally different yeah um, I, I can understand a lot of people who say, well, look, I'd love to be a judge, so I go to the bar and I then put out my interests, I show that I'm, you know, I go to courses and then you say I want to become a magistrate. But becoming a judge in our common law system takes a long, long time. It's attributes, it's experience, it's the cases, it's the ability to understand and the ability to write. And this is why when you become a high court or district court judge, you've got to have 10 years post-qualifying experience before you can even apply for a district court judge, less for a magistrate, maybe five or six or seven. So I, I do think it needs to be attractive. 
i.e., you know, people, you know, and some people do want to become judges. But at the moment now, there seems to be, and there has been for many, many years, always been vacancies. Now, maybe the system, maybe it takes too long to be, you know, the interview system, filling in the forms, being interviewed as well. Many people who become judges sit as deputies and they're watched in their performance as deputies. Like many deputy magistrates are watched, they become a deputy and then they're seen and then they're done well, then they apply for a full term, a full post. Yeah. Um, Sancho Marco Colino, just briefly, the Spanish system in Hong Kong? Um, I, I also think, I mean, I think there should be an advantage to the common law system that we, we would have very, very expert judges who have been in the legal profession for a long time. And hopefully they it would help them avoid instances of, of plagiarism like this. So that's what I would think. Okay, we're discussing the issue of judicial plagiarism on the back of a uh, recent Court of Appeal case, um, finding that um, uh, Judge Wilson Chan had uh, d delivered a judgment that copied 98% of a plaintiff's written submissions. So do stay with us. We'll be continuing the discussion after the news. And later on, uh, we're going to be talking also about a, a tree in Maan Shan, a, a very Instagrammable tree that has been badly damaged. The weather forecast, it's mainly cloudy with a few showers. Showers will be heavier in some areas with thunderstorms at first, sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees. Moderate to uh, fresh south to southwesterly winds in the outlook. There's still going to be a few showers in the next couple of days and sunny periods uh, during the day. Uh, thank you very much to Colin Cohen, and we'll be back shortly. It's 9.30, it's 9.30, it's 9.30 the news with Ben Jay. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will hold further talks in Beijing today as he concludes his historic visit to the capital. Mr. Blinken, the most senior Biden administration official to visit China, is expected to meet the nation's top diplomat Wang Yi, although it's not clear whether or not he'll speak to President Xi Jinping. Yesterday, the U.S. diplomat held more than five hours of talks with Foreign Minister Qin Gang. A McDonald's store manager remains in critical condition in hospital this morning after his skull was fractured in a knife attack in a store in Western District yesterday. Police said a 29-year-old worker at the restaurant had been arrested and was being held on suspicion of wounding. And serious doubt has been cast on the Greek Coast Guard's account of the hours leading up to the sinking of a migrant ship last week. 78 bodies were recovered, but hundreds more are thought to have died. An analysis of maritime traffic in the area suggests another vessel provided the migrant ship with food and water at the request of the Greek Coast Guard at least seven hours before it capsized. I'll have more news at 10. I am Donnie Yen, contactless e-channels. The fusion of technology with quality service. Download the Contactless eChannel mobile app and complete the enrollment through I Am Smart. Generate the QR code to enter an eChannel. Face the camera and perform facial verification. Immigration clearance is swift, contactless, and more hygienic. Fingerprint verification can still be used. Contactless eChannels, leading a new way to the future. The government has announced proposals on improving governance at the district level. The Chief and Deputy Chief Secretaries for Administration will personally lead and coordinate district governance. People of different experiences and professions who are familiar with district affairs may enter district councils through various channels. District councils will focus on district affairs and collect and reflect public views to better serve the people. Improve district administration, build a better community. 
Welcome back to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. In the second half of this morning's show, we're continuing our discussion about um, um, alleged plagiarism in the judiciary on the back of a Court of Appeal judgment uh, about Judge, Judge Wilson Chan, who was found to have copied 98% of a plagiarism's, uh, of, a, of a plaintiff's submission uh, without actually adding a single sentence of his, his own. Uh, later on in the show, we're also going to be talking about that damage to a, a very popular tree uh, outside Ma Shan. Um, if you've got any thoughts on either topics, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can give us a call on 233 uh, Continuing our discussion, uh, we still have with us uh, Sandra Marco Colino, Associate Professor of the Faculty of Law at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And we're now also joined by Lawrence Ma. Lawrence Ma is Barrister and Chairman of the uh, Hong Kong Legal Exchange Foundation. Uh, Lawrence Ma, let's go to you first. Good morning. Welcome Hello, to the chat. Or welcome back. What do you make of this? Uh, latest case that's hit the headlines about uh, the alleged judicial copying by uh, just, uh, Justice Wilson Chan? Well, the, uh, Hong Kong's uh, problem is, is there are a shortage of judges. Uh, first, because there is a budgetary con- constraint, as that, that budgetary constraint has been acknowledged in the um, uh, uh, pay review every year in the pay review report. Um, and there's h- how much is allocated by the government to the judiciary to employ judges uh, has been a concern. I mean, uh, there has been belief that there hasn't been enough uh, being uh, assigned by the judiciary, as uh, by, by the executive, uh, to fund the employment of judges in the judiciary. Uh, the second problem would also be uh, how much we should pay to attract talent. I mean, that has always been a problem uh, for common law jurisdictions, uh, where senior counsels uh, got paid much more than high court judges. But of course, we cannot just increase the pay of high court judges to meet senior counsel's requirements. Uh, there, there, has to, there has to be a compromise by senior counsel uh, to, 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 get into, to, to, to get into the judiciary by, say, for example, uh, giving service to the community as his uh, goal rather than making money. So these, these are the two problems of uh, shortage of judges in Hong right. Kong. Good morning, Lawrence. How much do we pay our high court judges right now? Ballpark. Well, I, I just checked. Uh, uh, in 2022 last year, a high court judge gets paid about 323000 a month. Right. OK, that sounds pretty good. I'm going plus. to start studying law immediately. <laughs> plus um, the allowance of 100 and something plus for the allowance for uh, uh, the living expenses. And, so, right. Lawrence Marr, surely politically it's quite difficult to say that someone who's earning 323000 well, is that that's too low. I, I mean, I know if you're a successful barrister in private practice, well, you make a lot more. But That's so. my next question. How much would a, realistically would a very experienced barrister make in the private sector? Uh, to qualify as senior counsel, you have to get paid or earn about $8 million a year. That's not an so official, it, Lawrence, yeah. that's not an official. You, what you mean is that in practice, people admitted normally are earning about that amount, right? No, no, no. To, to apply for senior counsel position, you have to prove that you have a successive uh, three years of consecutive income of no less than $8 million per year. That's my understanding. Wow. Okay. I'm now trying in my head... To multiply three hundred twenty-three thousand by twelve, uh, well, you're going to get to about four million, aren't you? Three point six million dollars. Three point six, yes, yes. yes. So that's that's, that's a that's very a big gap of, of a senior counsel. Right, pay. and that, I think what you're saying is there's a a certain amount of prestige with being a judge, a certain amount of face in the community, 
so that he can't go from three million to twelve million. He's got to settle for somewhere in the middle. But yes, there, of course. But I there mean, has to be something. You have to have the objective serving the community. But the problem is, in reality, they've spent too much. Senior council because they got paid a lot more. They spent too much on on things. So they it would be hard for them to become a judge because if, if there would be a, a cut in income, and how could they pay for the? Uh, or, or, or continue the lifestyle they were having. Okay, we're saying that judges' judges' salaries are lower than senior councils. Um, although, of course, senior you do get a pension and things like that. And I, 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 I know some people who actually, um, Sandra Marco Kalina, right? I've, I've I've heard friends in the legal sector actually talking about switching over to judiciary at that stage in their life to get a, a pension, right? But let's also bear yeah. in mind that they get housing. And or a housing allowance of over, I think it's something like 160,000 a month. So that's also, we, we it's in yeah. the end, the salaries would be. But, but anyway, high. I mean, although the issue of salary is relevant, still, I mean, whatever you're being paid, it, it's, it's, it's no excuse for plagiarizing, is it, Lawrence Mark? Oh, yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to use the word plagiarism. Yeah, please tell us about that. uh, I mean, Colin Cohen earlier, although he slightly backtracked from it, he was also saying that uh, he didn't think it's plagiarism. Why do you you not think it's plagiarism? Well, because the written submission is is there to assist the court. I mean, you hand in your written submission, and the court can use it in whatever means they, they see fit. Um, of course, I mean, the, what the problem is now is that the, the, the judge himself did not display any analytical uh, part of the of the judgment. You have to have independent thinking. You have to have an independent analysis of the case. Right. You can't just copy straight out from the submission. He's got to attribute it, first of yeah. all. Yeah, attribution then, issue. Yeah. Then apply his own paragraphs of judgment. Yeah, I think we go to Sandra Marco Colino, who was shaking her head just <laughs> now. And it does appear on this show this morning there is a divide between academics and lawyers, and maybe I'm somewhere in the middle, that, uh, uh, that uh, as far as academics are concerned, you, you think it is plagiarism, right? But the matter, I mean, I think the matter is attribution. I think we're all talking, I mean, and Colin also said that before, right? So you can cite, you can take bits, you can say what counsel said that, blah, blah, blah. Of course, we can we can do that, and you, you, would, you would be supposed to do that. You don't have to reinvent the facts um, and the arguments of the parties, sure, but you cannot pass it as your own. I think the problem here is that when you read the judgment, it seems as though there's no evidence that this is not the judge speaking. Um, it feels as though it's actually the judge's writing. There's no, it's not clearly stated. And also that 98% came from one of the parties is also somewhat worrying. Okay, let's, let's move on because we said right at the beginning we were going to talk about the possible impact of artificial intelligence on, uh, ju- on judgments as well. And what, what are your thoughts on that, Sandra? Well, I mean, this is something that we are actually currently uh, really having to face the consequences of um, ChatGDP and all the new technologies on also on um, university, at the university level, the students, the honesty, the, the originality of their work, etc. Um, I mean, this is something also that happened when the internet first uh, started, right? Uh, there were all these questions. In the end, I would say, I mean, of course, there are issues. Um, in the end, it's been a force for good, right? We, uh, it's been a hugely beneficial, for instance. It, it just makes it much quicker f- to find sources um, and and to be able to, to have everything at your fingertips. And normally, they're used for good, Um of course, there are always, it's always possible that because the information is so available at your fingertips that you would just simply be tempted to, you know, copy paste, of course. Um, but we see that that still remains the exception. I would say with the new technologies, we are now actually developing courses to deal with this. It presents a huge opportunity for the students, for instance, to um, get the essential background information often. But you have to be careful for two reasons. One, because of it, we could 
be dealing with originality issues. But two, they're not always accurate. Uh, we have seen that uh, often it's possible that they make huge mistakes. They give you an answer that sounds perfectly plausible, but they've actually invented three of the cases don't really exist. And that so was you the have... case in America, wasn't yes. it? Yes. One particular. So we've case already had a lawyer using ChatGPT. Yes. Uh, it's presumably only a matter of time before a judge somewhere in the world tries to use ChatGPT. That's my question. <laughs> that's my very next question. And what? How far is the intelligence, the artificial intelligence, away from taking the arguments of one party and the arguments of another party and making an independent decision? Well, I think that the problem of artificial intelligence is that it cannot do what a judge can do in the sense that the judge can step back and the judge has this pre-existing knowledge um, of prior cases um, and can apply that to the very specific circumstances of the case because that's ultimately what um, deciding on these cases is about, right? You take legal precedent and you apply it to circumstances that are slightly different. Uh, so you have to adapt it to ensure that you achieve fairness and that you achieve justice. And that I cannot see how, like you say, how uh, artificial intelligence I'm might very well do. I'm right? not sure because with these modern computers and the data that they can absorb... Wow, they may be, they may have a better memory than the judge. But, but again, I mean, they can they can also be very easily fooled, right? Whereas, yeah. But the one yeah. thing, art of it, or not the one thing, but one thing that artificial intelligence does seem to be pretty good at is summarising material. Sure, exactly. Um, and that must be a sorely. And we were talking earlier about how you, the judges get given 180 pages of written submissions and things like that. There's surely a sore temptation. Yes, maybe the judge still decide, but a large part of his judgment is going to be summarising the submissions from the two parties and just to turn that over to ChatGPT in the future. Yeah, as a support tool, I think it would it's, it, it can have fantastic potential. Um, it should just not substitute the mind of the judge. I think that's the, the big thing, right? The big difference. Lawrence? Lawrence yeah. Well, uh, I, I, well uh, we have talked about AI now. I, I can't foreshadow what AI will be in 10 years. That, that's really, the argue, argument is in vain. But the, 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 for me, AI is only informative. It does, it's not analytical. It doesn't have an analy analytical uh, uh, strings of information. For example, when a judge is uh, looking at a, a, a witness and deciding whether to believe him or not, what to reject and what to accept is what AI cannot do. Right. What weight should I, as a judge, give to a piece of evidence? AI cannot do that for me. How would I look at the facts and then think through it to and analyse the fact and apply the law, AI cannot do it because right. AI is only informative. And you give you a big statement of got, what the law is. It's like, like an yes. encyclopedia. You've got, and you've got things like... It doesn't do analysis. You've got things like credibility and the demeanour of the witness. Exactly. Sometimes uh, in, in a court, a lot can depend on that. Did he look confident? Did he com come across as a person telling the truth? A, a computer uh, yes. and, and software. Whether, whether it's, it's oral testimony... Uh, leave up to the uh, uh, contemporaneous documents, for example. AI mm. cannot tell that. Well, there's, I mean, there's been a number of surveys, haven't they, suggesting that for, I think 40 to 50% of legal tasks could be done by artificial mm. intelligence. Uh, surely, low and smart, that we're not saying it can the, necessarily can take over actually deciding the case, but if it can, the, the artificial intelligence can do 40% to 50% of legal tasks, that must include some of the tasks that judges are doing. Yeah, but also for counsel. I mean, if you cross-examine a witness, 
how could an AI perform the, the, the cross-examination? Because you, you have to look at the instantaneous response of the witness and to ask the next question. Well, maybe ask uh, uh, Sandra, Sandra what, what type of tasks do you think are going to be, in, in the legal sector, going to be taken over by AI? Well, I think, like you've said, like summarising um, and just basically maybe an initial help to maybe get... Um, like the reference of the main cases or something. But again, it has to be reliable because there have been issues of reliability in the past. So I think it still will take some time until it really begins to work well. But that kind of background information, the, the initial research, that could be very helpful. But then you need the mind behind it and I'm, the knowledge. I'm a bit, yeah, I, you've persuaded me to be worried <laughs> because how did these non-existent cases get into that? case in america oh that I, I i can't tell you how they get they got in but yeah indeed that that has that has happened it so. is a well-known form um, yeah. with ai that ai does on certain circumstances make things up I mean, it's not confined yeah. to this case and <laughs> um, <laughs> those who work in the field say <laughs> like wikipedia right we also know that wikipedia entrance uh, entries are not entirely reliable because anybody could edit them and you could in uh, fact yes. be trolling yeah. and you could yeah so. but you can you can delve into that and find out who did something but yeah someone's got to have the will to cross-check it. So, um, Lawrence Maher, I mean, continuing this AI theme for a moment, as a legal professional, you're, you're not worried then that your work's going to disappear because of AI? Not for, not for barristers like me, but, but for uh, solicitors who have more routine work and templates, um, they, some, some of their work may be replaced if the client is smart enough to look up the AI and work out, for example, a contract. Then they probably do it themselves instead of asking a lawyer to rewrite the contract for that. Yeah. Um, so solicitors, legal clerks as well, maybe. I mean, uh, the, it isn't the problem going to be that for junior staff, actually, Sandra, for junior staff, a lot of their, it's, it's the stuff at the junior level that presumably can be done by AI more easily. Possibly, but I mean, frankly, just generally speaking, if I had a... An, a a serious issue, I wouldn't want to leave it uh, in the hands of artificial intelligence because there are nuances and things that, I mean, even a, a very good lawyer could potentially forget something or overlook something. But again, the facts, it's so important to apply the law to the specific facts that I cannot see how this would be done, you know, with absolute perfection. A mistake can cost you so much. And how so, about all these people who can't afford a lawyer at the moment? Yeah, and yeah. if the choice is between no lawyer and AI, then presumably AI is better than no lawyer at all. But then it doesn't take away from the legal profession if the, if the choice is that no is lawyer. True, yes, right? but so. you, then, then you talk about maybe AI expanding access to justice. Possibly. It could be uh, another, so another I, way yeah, of looking at it. I could uh, be involved in a case and I could research it myself. Mike, put, you know something about legal, high legal fees, don't you? I certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still suffering from the high legal fees that I had. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, um, Lawrence Maher, how about, how about opening up access to justice through AI? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much to think about on, on that point. But, I mean, yeah, of course, you can buy your own contract. But most of the problem is for conveyancing. You still, you still need the um, solicitor to, to do the um, exchange for you with the bank, to the, the exchange with the bank, the mortgage documents, and negotiations with the other side. AI cannot do that for you. The other thing, of course, is that AI can make it can make it easier to be lazy. I mean, I was just thinking of thinking it through again. If you talk about these 160 page submissions coming in from counsel to a judge, there must be a temptation in future for the, the judge to just to get to AI to just summarize them and read the summary instead of the full submissions. 
Oh, no, I mean, judges can always direct counsel to, to, to do an oral summary of what they, their submission is instead of um, relying on AI. Because if you rely on AI to feed the judge with the information, you have to disclose that to counsel. You have to tell them that, yes, I'm not using your submission, but I'm summarizing it with an AI, and the counsel might object. I mean, the counsel may not know what AI has done to your submissions, you see. Okay, I think we're going to have to draw it to a close there. Uh, this will certainly not be the time we're discussing. Last time we're discussing the impact of AI on the legal and other professions. So. It's a very interesting debate. With what is plagiarism uh, and what is copying? Hopefully, the last time we're discussing judicial or judicial alleged <laughs> plagiarism. Uh, okay, our thanks very much to our guests uh, here in the studio. From the beginning, has been uh, Sandro Marco Colino, associate professor at the Faculty of Law at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, uh, and also joining us on the line uh, just now was Lawrence Ma Barrister and uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Legal Exchange Foundation. Earlier, of course, we also heard from uh, Colin Cohen, senior partner and co-founder of Boris Cohen and Collins. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back. Uh, also in the news over the past few days has been a damage to a famous tree in uh, Ma- on outside Maan Shan. Uh, this tree has a uh, very l- l- uh, long Latin name. Let me see if I get this right. Entada Faisolid. Do you want to try, Mike? Uh, no, because I'm well. Let's uh, let's 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 use. It's actually more commonly known in English as the box bean or St Thomas bean, um, and it is uh, it's a trek outside Maan Shan, but it is incredibly. It's very rare and very photogenic. By all all accounts, there is um, you normally will find a long queue of people actually waiting to um, um, to um, take pictures of this tree, and it has now been very badly damaged. Right. Uh, and we've got Chris Law, director of Green Earth, on the line. Good morning. Good morning. Yep, good morning. Hong Kong morning. people really love their trees, don't they? Yes, yes. And then especially after this few years of COVID, as people, you know, find the nature very, very good to the well-being of everyone. Um, are we taking enough care of our trees? Uh, we do have care about trees, but I think there is a lot of uh, public awareness that we have to raise. And in especially this incident has been really heartbreaking for a lot of nature lovers and tree lovers. Can you tell us a bit more about this incident? Yeah, so um, it started like um, last Wednesday afternoon. A short video was circulated on the internet on uh, about this fine cane, we call it commonly known as fine cane in Mao Ping. It was cut and damaged, and the cut is really, really devastating because some have counted 17 cuts, but of which, because this plant is really special, it um, has been at least a dozen of years. Some said it's over 100 years. And um, the tree has a very interesting stretch and the official name is Antada Festioloides. Thank you. Your pronunciation and, is much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah. And it is also called, uh, it has a nickname called Dragon Crossing River because of its majestic stretch. 
the vines are really thick and twisted, and it's spirally going up in the air and riding on the support of many other trees surrounding it. I would say it's a really 360 stretch. And it has its historical reference as well, because it, its main branch stretching a point, a deserted west room. And it was a very small British school around the area. The school actually was uh, demolished, but then this restroom has maintained its historical values. So it is very interesting in its historical values as well as uh, its uh, majestic view that can be enjoyed. And, you know, it's a very right. popular check-in spot for IGS. What Do we have uh, many other trees like this? We do have but only a few, but this one is really very um, iconic. And it is special because it actually um, has been the crossway between a lot of main heights and especially the Macahoos Trail. So um, it has been here for years and um, it actually has a very special meaning to a lot of hikers because um, it is raising curiosity to people towards nature. So. Uh, a lot of people, when they do hiking, they actually uh, just walk by trees. But this tree actually is very intriguing and it has captured a lot of visitors to stay there, going around, admire it. You know, it is, it is quite an iconic landmark that we have lost right, because, because it's loved by many. Yeah, that's it. We walk past trees every day or drive past them. But when mm -hmm. one is such an interesting shape, that you stop yeah. and think about it, then it, it's kind of drawing people into more love of nature. Yeah. So this species was also included in the list of 100 rare and precious plants in Hong Kong. So we have actually, we are now losing a very rare tree. But are, are we losing? I just want to clarify, because you said the, the trees mm -hmm. are 100 years old. I'm looking at a picture of it here. It's a pretty impressive structure. Even if yeah. it's been attacked in this way, surely I mean, it's big enough that it's, it's not going to dis destroy it, is it? Or is it so, the damage so severe that it, it, it may die now? Yeah, uh, some say that it may buy, uh, die after the summer. But um, the main thing is about this intentional cut of some of the branches. So there are many cuts, and one of them is over 60 cm diameter, yeah. and it's really serious. So it seems that there is an intention to cut it off from the main branch for all the good stretching out branches. So uh, we are very, very concerned, actually, because this tree is located in the Hong Kong Country Park, and it is actually an illegal act and a very shameful behavior of destroying such a precious plant. That was, that was going to be my next question. What, what kind of mindset would there be mm. in the in individual? What, what, why yeah, would anyone want to destroy quite, something? A trek quite a long way with so knives as well. I yeah. mean, to, uh, it would require some uh, careful thought. Um, yeah. Uh, Crystal, so, so, you're saying, so what are the chances of this tree surviving? Uh, you were saying some people say that um, it may actually die after the summer. The reason is because it's cut off from the main branch that provides nutrients. And we're not tree experts. Is there anything that can be done about that? Or is it just um, that there's nothing that can be done now except hoping? We are not. But at the same time, we really call for um, 
the community to help us out to actually find out um, how come there is such an illegal act happening. And uh, we really want to first call for anyone who have seen suspicious people during that period of time around that area between June 5th to June 14th to provide some clues, photos to us. But that's two Um, aspects, isn't it? Finding out who did it and some Mm. sort of accountability and punishment, maybe, and educating people not to do this kind of thing. It seems strange that people need to be educated not to damage beauty. Um, Yeah. But uh, can anything be done to inject nutrients in somehow into the into the tree so that it can survive we also call for specialists um uh, we have tree specialists here in hong kong and this vine is actually very special and uh i think we are gathering different specialists in order to think about ways how to um protect it but it's also alarming because there are a lot of other species and 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 trees here in hong kong that needs uh, protection and better inspection. Yeah, I was thinking more more generally about the issue of vandalism in country parks. I mean, this is the point is that is now you can if anyone's seen anything suspicious, you can try and gather evidence, perhaps to lead to somebody. But it's very difficult. You can't. Re- this is trees in a remote area. You can't really have a police patrol there or something like that. I'm not sure you could even have CCTV cameras. You're all, if somebody has malicious intent in a country park, it's mm. it's very difficult to see what you can do to stop that. It is. So public awareness and education is also very important. I think basically this is a very violent act towards the plant. And uh, there has to be a, a lot to do about raising the respect to nature in here. Um, we are actually very lucky in Hong Kong to have such proximity and uh, very accessible nature that we can have. And I think uh, there is a missing point because um, uh, the the, the community may need more education or knowledge about how actually nature has provided ecosystem services and the benefits to us, not just to our health and also to our well-being. So it, 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 it is very important uh, that we have to continue raise the awareness and education. Because vandalism seems to me not that allowing for the second half of 2019 putting that on one side with a political motive an act of vandalism like this is is very relatively rare um we are still very puzzled about this violent act <laughs> i mean you're so puzzled uh, precisely because i think because of what mike's point right that it is so rare in hong kong right it is rare but i i, I would have to say that no matter whether the species is rare or not, we have to respect and protect nature in a way that we have to let it go on for the generations to come that uh, they can have go. nature to enjoy. It is really, really important that there have to be a, a stronger sense of protection. And uh, I really urge the uh, authorities to strengthen inspections and also um, they may consider installing some CCTV at precious plant sites and uh, more monitoring and uh, and probably increased ranges. I I understand that there are ranges that uh, keep track of... uh, uh, Okay, I'm afraid we'll have to draw it to a close there. Very interesting, Mm. though, to hear about uh, this mutilated tree. Let's hope there are no more cases uh, similar to that. Um, uh, That was uh, Chris Law, the uh, director of uh, uh, The Green Earth. And that's all from, uh, from Mike and me for today very interesting show again isn't it it was much more interesting than maybe (laughs) people thought it would be (laughs) okay back chat we'll be back tomorrow